Hey y'all, welcome to Paid Invoice Podcast. I am your host, Judith Jones. In this episode, I will be having a conversation with a longtime friend of mine, Taina Brown, who is a life coach and DEI strategist. We will be talking about her relationship with money, starting her own business, dealing with imposter syndrome, and reframing her path toward financial freedom by using a liberatory framework. You can find her on Instagram at Taina M. Brown and learn more about her projects and coaching offerings on her website, tainamb.brown.com. Don't forget to follow me at Budgeting Broke Girl on Instagram. I post throughout the week about financial literacy, money memes, as well as my own financial journey. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. there for some years yeah. <laughs> now yeah. I, don't, I don't even i can't even count at this, at this point at this point <laughs> <laughs> um yeah for folks that are listening yeah we are definitely familiar with each other we've known ty for at minimum minimum three but it's more than three i know because we've been yeah. out of school longer than that yeah right? uh, it's been at least I would say five or six. Yeah, I, I think started at Agnes in 2013. Same. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we know each other from college, from Agnes Scott. Um, and I think I met you, I don't know which, it was definitely a women and gender studies class. I don't yes. know which one, but I had like seen you around. <laughs> and, um, and I think that was like the first time I had like interacted with you and I was like oh, okay this person's really cool and like grounded um you know I think that's definitely like when I met you that was the one you seemed more grounded than like others around me like you knew why you were there and you mm. knew what you were doing and I knew that you worked I think you were working at Noodle at the time yeah yeah I was towards the like my last year at Agnes I was working at Noodle yeah I remember that like I knew that you worked so I knew that like yeah like you were you were there to this was business like you were there to learn and like wasn't trying to (laughs) wasn't into into mess or so I was like okay this this person's cool I'm like grounded um but so that's just a little background on how we know each other um but then I think I noticed following you online that you, I mean, you probably already already did it. I think I just, I didn't notice until your Instagram and the shift toward uh, life coaching and mm-hmm. freelance work. So I guess, how did you start out freelancing? Um, are you full-time freelancing at this moment or is it is it multiple, do you have multiple um businesses like running at the same time yeah so I started out freelancing because I was in grad school and it was awful and (laughs) (laughs) I um was thinking about what I would do after grad school so um I wasn't working um well I started out working full-time and doing grad school full-time which I do not recommend to anyone unless you absolutely have to do it um excuse me um so then eventually I quit my full-time job because I was like no I need I have to focus on grad school otherwise I'm not gonna be able to get anything done 
Um, and then I realized I was miserable um, focusing on grad school only. And so I was thinking, okay, once this is over, what am I gonna do? Cause my full-time job um, that I had when I started grad school um, in 2018 was um, working for a travel company and I loved it, um, but it wasn't something that I necessarily was like wanting to do with my life. Like I didn't wanna book travel for other people for the rest of my life. I loved it because of the proximity to travel and some of the perks that it, um, that it came with. And so I was like, okay, what can I do that will allow me to travel um, if I want to, whenever I want to, um, but not have to be in the travel industry. And so I, I thought back to like things that I'd done in the past and the times that I was like most happy um, working and doing things. And I realized that like coaching was like the one thing that I really, really loved doing that if I were going to like start my own business and just kind of like uh, bootstrap something and just kind of like start it from scratch and build my way up that it would be, you know, a coaching and consulting business. So that's where I started. And so I just kind of started out small. Uh, I mean, I'm still small, but, <laughs> but um, I started out with small steps um, and just kind of doing um, just some pro bono type coaching work with individuals um, in some of my networks and um, eventually just quit grad school because I was miserable. <laughs> um, and then just um, focus on that full time for a little while. Um, and the one thing is that I didn't think about, like when you're starting your business, like it's not like you start your business on Monday and then like on Tuesday you're making bank, right? Like you're not really making a steady income. Like you're not really able to pay yourself for a while. And so um, we're, we were trying to get, or we are trying to get out of debt. Like we're trying to pay off some debt as quickly as possible. My wife and I both have a massive amount of student loan debt. And so, and the student loan debt, we know that we're gonna be paying off for a few years. Like we know that's not gonna be something that's gonna be like, oh yeah, 2022, we'll be done, you know? But <laughs> our other debt, we know that we can pay it off quickly, right? If we have a plan um, and if we both have steady income. So um, I decided last year in 2020 um, to start applying for full-time jobs um, to help us pay off the debt faster. And so that was a, um, a decision that we both came to. And so last summer, late last summer, um, I started my nine to five and am still doing the um, coaching and consulting as what most people would call like a side hustle. I definitely appreciate that you <laughs> pointed out one that you do have to do free work sometimes um, and like have to, I, know, I mean, I know people say this a lot, but like serve before you sell. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, that is, that is a real thing. I think for inter like interpersonal based businesses, like I'm selling t-shirts, like I'm selling a T like, like, I don't yeah. know. I could do that for free unless I'm sending like promo to, you know, some big Instagram person. But yeah. I think with like, yeah, I think business, especially coaching um, or like facilitation work and that kind of 
like one-on-one work with other people or groups of people mm-hmm. you do often either don't charge I think in the, in the beginning or you charge so low that it, like it basically was for free yeah um yeah. and I appreciate like also what you said about the lack of steady income because I was listening to a live um from this business coach last night and he was like there's this weird myth going around that like we're all millionaires you know or like on track (laughs) yeah like I started my LLC six months later I had six hundred thousand dollars and it's like yeah um and he was like most small businesses can't even break 100k like not even in a year but just in, in general like they've never broken that in profit um and so there's this like weird especially I think with like the Instagram ads um and I assume that you get as well like when you follow a lot of entrepreneurs you get a lot of weird ads of like take this course I got 50,000 followers today um and it's like it's not real like that's all false and that that is not to say that can't happen for you or for me you know or for some random person because one week the algorithm liked us and actually showed our our stuff um but like like demystifying like you know the entrepreneur girl boss of like no it's it's not it's not that at all yeah Can you speak more toward like doing pro bono work in the beginning and like what what boundaries did you set for yourself or limits on how much free work or discounted mm-hmm. work are you willing to do before you were like no these are my prices and like the customer I want will come to me yeah yeah I think when you're in um in a well first let me say I I've se- I have seen those ads right like um six-figure sales yes. and like you know, all that <laughs> stuff and I'm like bitch there's only so much money to go around like not everybody can be a millionaire like like, I mean, you, like, okay, if we, like, for real redistributed wealth yeah. in a socialist, like, a s- real socialist way, then, yes, everyone can have lots of money, right? But, like, um, but that's not the way our society works. And not that we shouldn't aspire, right, to make money and to build wealth, um, but it's not as easy as, like, the Bali babe girl boss. Like, if I see another fucking podcast or clubhouse room titled <laughs> Boss Babe or Girl Boss, I'm going to lose it. Like, I'm just, I'm so tired of that cliche. Um, and those, that terminology, like, um, it's just, ugh, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. De- so. I, I can't get on clubhouse. Like I, I'm just, yeah, I'm oh, sorry. I'll be, I just can't get on clubhouse just because of that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's too much it's too much um and I I think in terms of just like using social media to run a business um I hate that I have to be on social media so much and you know if if we weren't in a pandemic maybe I wouldn't have to be on social media so much because I might be able to like connect with people in person um and at like networking events and things like that but um but I just, I hate what our society has become like that as a business owner, you have to like engage in these tools and just kind of like conform to, or try to conform to what the algorithm wants. Like the algorithm is a moody ass bitch. Like 
it's not like it changes literally like hour to hour and it's just it's too much anyway to answer your question <laughs> um yeah i think service-based um entrepreneurs um you do have to start off like giving stuff away for free right and part of that is because you have to figure out for yourself like where is your like sweet spot you know um because I went in and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do life coaching. And then I started working with clients one-on-one -on -one for free and realized that I could do it and I liked it, but that wasn't necessarily my sweet spot, right? So then I was like, okay, I'm still going to do that, but let me try a group program and see how that goes, right? And so it's a lot of trial and error and experimentation. And not that you're just like carelessly working with people, obviously, right? You should have some kind of ethic or moral compass and some kind of like agreement. Like, even though I was working with people for free, like I had them sign a contract that was what I was committing to offer them, what they were committing to bring to the table as well. And so, you know, just keep it legit. But, um, but there is a, a component of experimentation that has to happen um in order for you to be confident in what you're doing right to build up your confidence and in order to figure out um the best way for you to operate as a service-based entrepreneur um and you really can't charge people for that experimentation like it's kind of unethical um to charge people for that experimentation so when you're asking for beta clients right like it's important that you tell them that they're beta clients, right? That they're not necessarily going to be getting something that is already completely structured, right? That this is an opportunity for us to enter into a collaborative relationship, um, whether you know you're doing coaching or consulting or whatever. And so, um, in terms of like the boundaries that I set with that, um, it was really the way I the way I structured it was the number of people that I would work with and for how long. And so I decided to work with at least four to five people for no more than three months at a time. And so I knew I knew 12 weeks was something that I could do um, and keep it um, healthy and keep it um, keep my energy um, at the pace that it needed to be but i knew that if i went over that 12 week period that um my energy was not going to be the same like i wasn't going to be able to offer the same amount of energy and um uh attention that those clients would need um so that's how i set my boundaries and then i took a break after that to just kind of like reset um do some you know um uh What's the word I'm looking for? Um, just do some analysis of how those experiences went um, before moving forward and offering anything else, making any pivots or, um, or anything of that nature. I really appreciate what you said about the experimentation and it not, and it being unethical to, <laughs> to charge people like an insane amount of money if you don't you are like you don't know what you're doing in like a structural way like in the system like you haven't created the system yet yeah um and so like they're just a guinea pig i think definitely 
for me when I I had someone come to me for money coaching and like a one-on-one and I I charged them because it was my time um but I think then I talked to another money coach they were like how how much did you charge they're like you you priced yourself way too low and I was like I I didn't know if I was going to be helpful but they were like but they you know like obviously like they saw value or they saw expertise that they lacked Mm -hmm. and that's why they were willing to pay you and then you undercharge yourself and I think the Judy is the money coach I'm talking about and she was like well how much money did you save her I was like well I found $800 in her budget that was being wasted like the and she's like you found $800 and you charged like 70 or $100 like she gained $700 like you still came up you could have still charged more but um but I think it's just because like she I had never done it Mm -hmm. never done it when someone had offered me money because I think you know um I know that we both probably get a lot of people that ask questions you know and, and DMing people and having conversations for free which I'm totally fine with and I think why I wanted to open up like office hours to you know you can just come hang out with me for free because I I haven't built the system out um, in a structural way and in a sustainable way that I could do this for a long term and I'm still not sure if I want to keep doing one-on-one people you know or like you said is it do I want to do 12 weeks do I want to do six months um, and see someone once a month, I think I haven't even decided like yeah. the the system in which I want to do that. So uh, I do appreciate, yeah, you discussing that. Um, I guess on on the ethics of it, like do you do you think there is a way, either do you think there is a way to be an ethical entrepreneur within the system of capitalism? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or if not that question, how do you practice ethical business practices and ethical yeah. entrepreneurship for yourself? Yeah. yeah, I think within the system of capitalism, um, there isn't a way to be like 100% ethical, right? Yeah. Because just having to be a part of the system um, is makes it unethical, but there is a way to be more ethical than less ethical, right? And so it's really thinking about it in terms of how close can I get to being ethical as opposed to a black or white, yes or no kind of thing. And so when it comes to that, you know, like obviously fair pricing, sliding scales, you know, are a great way to make sure that um, there's accessibility um, and you're not necessarily like, like I see entrepreneurs who are like, I'm a luxury brand or I'm a premium brand, right? And it's like, okay, that's great. But like, how is that helping like your community, right? And so like when you're thinking about, or when you're thinking about starting a business, um, it's less about like, well, not less, but you also have to consider like the community aspect of it, right? Like how is this build, how is this business like, building community or um, creating community, right? And so that rubs up against capitalism, right? Because capitalism is very like individualized um, and it's a very like siloed 
and I'm a business owner and this is my stuff and every, everything else is competition, right? So if you're working with the mindset of community and collaboration, that is moving you away from working in a capitalistic dynamic, right? And so obviously there's still components of capitalism that we have to operate in, right? Like we have to have a bank account, right? We have to have a business account. You have to file your LLC, right? If you wanna be legally protected, right? Um, and so there's still those things that we have to do, but keeping that like, um, that framing of um, collaboration over competition and also liberation over everything else, right? Like how is my business creating space for liberation? And so, and that's the one thing that I've learned over the past few years as I'm, you know, building my own business. It's like life coaching is seen as like this thing for personal development but like, what if it was for liberation and not personal development, right? Like personal development is great, but that still keeps you as an individual silo. But if we're talking about life coaching for liberation, like that's done in community, that's done in collectiveness, right? That's not something that isolates the individual, but actually brings the individual into, um, into a relationship with other people. Mm, I I have never heard someone frame uh, <laughs> business ownership in a like liberatory framework before. So I was like, oh okay, like are we are we going to church today? Like is that what? <laughs> is <that a> <laughs> um, uh, I love community and collaboration over. Oh wait, yeah, I think I wrote that wrong. It was community. <laughs> Can you say that again for us? It was uh, community and collaboration over competition. Over competition. Mm, that I think that one. I mean, it's just gold. I mean, that's a gold phrase. <laughs> um, and two, I think that that language can help. Um, I don't want to say socially conscious, but social. I mean, yeah, socially conscious or business owners or entrepreneurs that may be listening to help them reframe like or able just to have the language of what they're feeling because I think we often all have moments of like of like that weird part of hustle culture where it's like no everyone is my enemy and like everyone mm -hmm. is my enemy everyone is my competition I'm going to destroy like the competition yeah. And like, I can't work with other people because they're trying to get like my secrets or my, yeah. you know, like they're going to use this against me, which, which can't happen, which is yeah. not to say that like one needs to be careful <laughs> about what kind of partnerships they make because people do take advantage of smaller businesses or smaller mm -hmm. accounts. Absolutely. Um, but that kind of like survival of the fittest mindset in the end, as you've spoken to, is not going to be that productive mm -hmm. um and only fuels like capitalism desire for us to destroy each other and like yeah. see who can make the most money yeah. um um so i really appreciate yeah that language to help reframe it um on that could you like what i know that you've often you often use audrey lord's uses of the erotic within mm -hmm. your um your work which i think you know obviously like 
fellow women's studies people, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I really appreciate, and you don't often get to see like womanist and feminist language used appropriately and correctly because it is used <laughs> it is used as we mentioned in like a weird girl boss way and yeah and I often and I talk to somebody else on the podcast who also identifies as feminist and I and I identify them as that too just because of I've seen their actions and what they speak around and speak around you know labor rights and ethics and black lives matter you know like and so i've seen that it wasn't just performative um and they also mentioned just like they they hashtag like financial feminist and like because they are a financial feminist but also know that like they don't want to because it's icky like of knowing that hashtag girl boss hashtag financial feminist like a lot of people are using it in a performative manner um and so I really appreciate that. I mean, I know that you're using the uses of the erotic in a mm-hmm. real <laughs> contextual yeah. um, manner. If you could, yeah, speak to, like, how do you use Audrey Lord's work within your business and your practice and kind of like really live out um, your your practice through your business? Yeah, so um, Audrey, I mean, first of all, Audrey Lord's work has been like super transformative for me. Like. I think I read uses the erotic um, at least like a few times every year. And um, I actually have my clients read it, my one-on-one clients read it. Like that's how we start off. And so that's (laughs) the first homework that I assign them. And the reason that I assign that to them is because whether you identify as a femme or not, or as a feminist or not, that work is so instrumental. Um, It's almost like a tool, right? Like it's not like this like theoretical thing, but it's a tool for better understanding um, yourself, right? Like what makes you come alive? Like how are you engaging in pleasure and in self-love and in self-awareness, right? And so because we operate in a capitalistic society, that stuff gets thrown to the bottom of the list, right? Because it's all about productivity. It's all about efficiency. It's all about, you know, producing results, making money. And so there's no time left over for just sitting with yourself and taking in like the pleasure of a cup of coffee or a sunset or your favorite song excuse me, or TV show or, you know, or laughter or just like lying in bed doing nothing, you know, next to a partner. And so we start off with that in order to recenter what it means to be whole, right? And what I, what I particularly love about that piece is that she says we can't be whole until we've uncovered that part of ourselves and embraced that part of ourselves. And so when you're doing life coaching and you're trying to frame it as a liberatory practice, more than personal development, wholeness has to be centered, right? And so in that way, that piece of writing by Audre Lorde is like, becomes the foundation for any work that we do, right? And it reframes for the client the fact that this is a liberatory journey that we're on. This isn't just for personal professional development. This is actually 
for you as a human being to feel liberated enough to embody your full self. Because at the end of the day, like if we're not embodying, embodying our full selves, if we're not living up to what we value, which by the way, we cannot uncover that until we embody our full selves because otherwise anything that we value is gonna be distorted by what other people have projected onto us, right? Then what are we doing? <laughs> like then the coaching is useless, right? You just wasted your money. We just wasted our time. Um, so that, that, that is the main way that I, um, that I make sure that um, there's a feminist component to the work that I do. Um, the other way is just um, challenging clients in their thinking of, um, of just like those like accepted things that people just kind of like accepted norms that don't sometimes get challenged, right? Like whether it's like pronoun use or what or who someone should be or look like, right? Um, I've had clients who are just like, well, I did this because I thought that that's what I should do. And it's like, okay, but who told you that that's what you should do? Like, where did that come from, you know? And so questioning those things that sometimes we just operate in without really thinking about um, is, is a great way. And, that, and, and that's what I love about feminism in general is this, that it allows us that space to question those accepted norms. And integrating that into my coaching and consulting practice um, has been really, really beneficial and transformational um, for, for clients and, and also for myself. Mm, thank you so much for mentioning pleasure as like, and pleasure in and within like sexual context like mm -hmm. that I think probably I mean you know I mean I think through American culture and like western culture pleasure as just like you said drinking a glass of water and like feeling not you know your thirst is quenched like it could yeah. be pleasurable like pleasure isn't just sex or sexual acts or parts of sexuality or the body like pleasure is outside of the body um, and being able to parse that out um, I, I really appreciate. It. And I think part of why I wanted to have this podcast, like you mentioned with accepted norms is I wanted folks that were adjacent to money or like adjacent to finance, but mainly I think honing on the niche of like entrepreneurs and business owners and side hustlers that are not your, that are not like a girl boss. Um, that's not like a CPA because <laughs> um, there's plenty of money podcasts with just people that like my net worth is a million dollars and that's great and I've listened to those and I do listen to those sometimes because mm -hmm. you know I I appreciate listening to people that you know do things completely you know opposite to me just to see yeah. how that they how they think and how they can navigate the world um, but I haven't really found a space where there are folks like us on a podcast able mm -hmm. to talk about business transparently um, and talk about business while we are doing things like outside of the norm. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I want to appreciate like you <laughs> being here in this space of just reminding people that like 
a girl boss or an entrepreneur looks a lot of different ways and is not just trying to sell you some kind of marketing thing um and like as to folks that also do um womanist feminist work um that you can also have a business and that you don't have to I think there was a point where I was like I can't do finance or I can't be in like business because mm-hmm. like it's gonna conflict with my values and then I'll be a capitalist and it's yeah. like Judith you were already a capitalist because you were born into capitalism like yeah. you already were there <laughs> like, I thought like, like you're outside yeah you know unless you're like completely living off the grid right like in a cabin in the woods like there's there's no way to to escape it um yeah I think like probably like when we were all like baby womanist or baby feminist there was like I can't be like that's you know that's what stock market finance Mm -hmm. bros do I didn't even want to talk about money because it's like money's not real and you know (laughs) it's part of capitalism and I'm a socialist and it's like silly silly Judith (laughs) yeah yeah you already are there um but I think on pleasure um I think well, not think. Um, I've seen a lot of folks in like the personal finance community, especially women in the personal finance community, try to, and I agree, like reframe, reframe slash broaden self care as like more than a bath bomb and like a concrete things of like mm-hmm. checking with your finances is a real tangible form of self care. You know, um, doing estate planning is self-care, writing a will, <laughs> like, yeah. like those kinds of life things or like adulting is a form of caring for ourselves and caring for our loved ones and families. Mm-hmm. Um, that's beyond like the fluff of taking a bath, which taking a bath is great and bath bombs and a glass of wine mm-hmm. is great, but like what are like tangible things that you can do? So for, for yourself with uh, money and finance, what are ways that you practice like financial self-care or ways that you can find pleasure in um in dealing with your finances I can't do you find any pleasure with around money or finance um not a lot (laughs) (laughs) it's a very stressful topic for me um and part of that is just you know growing up like there was no real financial literacy um we weren't rich we weren't middle class like we grew up poor and so money has this implication of just like negativity and stress and just like insecurity um which makes it really hard sometimes to uh to manage money right and to think about it and sometimes the last thing that my wife and I want to do is plan what to do with our money right like sometimes we're just like oh we'll just pay the bills and then we'll just spend money on whatever right (laughs) um and every year we're like this year we're gonna get better and so so it's still like a work in progress for us in terms of like um budgeting and sticking to a budget and things like that and so um and, and i've learned to see falling off the budget or um, or blowing up the budget <laughs> or not budgeting for a while and then getting you know getting back on I've learned to see that as like not a failure but just like my journey to becoming more financially literate and um, be, and to becoming you know um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for um, financially liberated 
Um, and so what, but what does give us a lot of pleasure is seeing our savings grow. And so knowing that we have, you know, that pocket of money that just like, we put money into it every pay period. And, you know, sometimes the amount varies, um, but consistently we're putting money into that account. Um, and so just that consistency and just seeing it grow over time um, gets us really excited to just know that that money is there in case of an emergency, which sometimes happens and sometimes we have to dip into it and we hate dipping into it, but we have to remind ourselves that's what it's there for. <laughs> like it's, it's an emergency account. Um, and so with the financial stuff, like there's still a lot of mindset work. And I hate to even use that term because like some people are like, oh, mindset, mindset, like manifestation. And it's like, it's not that easy. Like, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to throw this intention out into the universe, right? Like, no, that shit is actual work. Um, but there is still some shifting um, that I have to do that we, my wife and I both have to do in terms of how we think about money, how we look at money. And I think for people in our situation, it's kind of a lifelong process, um, to, I mean, God, I hope not, but, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's definitely a journey and a process. I don't know how long it's going to be. Hopefully it won't be a lifelong thing, but, um, but it's definitely been something that, together we're working on and that we never really thought about independently before um because before we started combining our finances we were both students so there it was not like there was like a lot of money to go around and so like grad school salaries and part-time job salaries like it's hard to budget around salaries like that when like 98% of your income is going to like expenses um, and like rent and things like that. But, um, but I am excited to, um, we did pay off some debt this year. We paid off two debts this year and that was really exciting for us. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. So we have like, we have a plan for like you know, paying off um, everything else besides our student loans, those god awful student loans um, <laughs> this year in 2021 um, and a little bit into next year into 2022. And so we're just like, okay, we can actually do this. Like if we just um, really stick to what we put down on the paper, what we put down on the budget. And so, um, and we've been using um, Brittany Polanco's um, budgeting spreadsheet, um, which has been really amazing um, and really easy to use. Mm. Um, you just like plug stuff in. She's like she's got all the formulas already figured out and stuff. And so you just kind of customize it to your needs and then you're, you're good to go. And so being able to, she has like that projected tab, right? Where you can see like how much you're going to save in a year if you stick to it, how much debt you're going to pay off in a year if you stick to it. 
And so being able to see that was really energizing for us. And we're just like, oh, okay. Like we actually stick to our budget. Like this is how much we can save and this is how much debt we can pay off. And once we pay off this one, then we can add more money to this debt, you know, and just kind of like using that, like, oh God, I, I don't even want to say his name, but using the snowball method. Yes. Um, Which I so- think we can say, cause he's not the only person on the, the face of the earth that invent you know like i know yeah. there's other people yeah i mean i think he is the best at marketing and coining things mm-hmm. but i'm like people have been doing things for you know from biggest to smallest or by interest rates since there was debt so i mean yeah, yeah i just say the methods i don't even i'm not even gonna let him have no credit for <laughs> i like that <laughs> let's go with that then <laughs> So, um, I mean, there's definitely like, we have one credit card that has a really high interest rate. So like our goal is to pay that one off first and then we're gonna like start snowballing, right? Um, so, cause we just, we can't let that card continue to just like generate interest. It's like we make a payment and it like barely makes a dent. <laughs> we're just like, what the fuck? It just goes to the interest. Exactly, exactly. Like the balance stays almost the same. So, um, but, but yeah, that's, that's, that's our journey. You know, it's not perfect. Um, and it's not like, oh yeah, we paid off $80,000 of debt in 18 months. I just moved back in with my parents and sold yep. my car and <laughs> worked from home. You know, like it's, it's not always, that's not always the journey. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not, not, I'm not, I'm not going to say his name because I'm not trying to shade him at all. Because I, I do genuinely like his content, but um, you've probably seen him. He, he, uh, he lives in a basement, like he lives in a garage, and it's his friend's garage. I think, I think he's still in that garage, or maybe he moved out of the garage. But when he was doing the majority of his journey, he was like sold his car had like a maybe he had like a beater and like a bike and was Mm -hmm. like I'm just gonna my friend said I could live in a garage and he transformed a garage into a home and was like and then I saved a million dollars and like because you went and lived in a garage and again like as someone that lives at home and like had the privilege and you know because not everybody has access to family or friends that let you live with them but I mean that's still not like, yeah, just moving home or like getting a roommate is not going to get you to a million dollars debt worth or help you pay off like all your debt. I think yeah, those narratives are really interesting because they're singular. And I mean, technically Mm -hmm. everybody's narrative, like you said, everyone's journey is an individual singular journey and you can't, there are people that are going to mirror you or be similar, but like, you know, I, I don't have the same skill set that you have or the same background or the same streams of income. So, mm-hmm. which I think is hard because, because those stories of, Hey, I lived in a basement and mm-hmm. I had a million dollars or, you know, I sold all my stuff and paid off a hundred thousand dollars for student loans in 12 months. Yeah. We can't all sell for our stuff. We don't always have family. Um, and also like not being transparent of like, Oh, you make, you make a hundred K a year. And mm-hmm. that's how you paid off your student, you know, yeah. uh, of not being transparent about like the income that is coming in yeah. around, yeah, debt as well, I think is really interesting. And then I think a lot of folks, you know, um, 
end up like yeah a weird comparison game and projecting that on themselves and and then like the Dave Ramsey like fanatics you know like come they will come for you like if you get you know you stray away from the path as well so there's like a lot of pressure um to conform which is crazy because everyone's debt-free journey is um is different and is an individual journey um I definitely relate to to that because think for me in student loans, I mean, my priority was to like get on a budget or like just I didn't know where my money was going. Frankly, like it was like figure out where like what is coming out of my account and just like try to teach myself financial literacy around that and you know credit cards and it was just like cut. I just paid the credit cards off and kept using them and. Um, I'm a big, I mean, as you know, I'm a big credit card believer just because I think if you have the discipline to pay off credit cards, then you have obviously learned the skills to manage it responsibly. Mm -hmm. I I do think if you feel like this is an impulse or addiction, you know, like that it is so impulsively, you cannot control it, fine, cut the credit cards. But I mean, man, if you've been able to steadily and efficiently pay off debt, then you've learned the tools of discipline and responsibility to, yeah. to, to use it properly. Yeah. Um, and then I think for me, it's always been like consumer debt, then student loans. Cause I mean, you can repossess my car, but you can't take my education away yeah. from me like that. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to come take like my brain, I guess, like one day. Um, so I think I've definitely, yeah. in a similar mindset and like, yeah, I still have student loans and I, I think for me, it was like, okay, by, I was like, I gave myself five years mm-hmm. just because I, I know how much I've made these past couple of years. And even if I like didn't spend a dime, I still wouldn't have paid it off. Like, in the, <laughs> like I said, still be there. <laughs> like, um, so I think, yeah, making like realistic goals for yourself and your lifestyle, I think is really important and rejecting the noise or just rejecting the noise and also just accepting it as like that is your journey and yeah that is wonderful for you but like I'm gonna have to custom make my path um so what like I think we've kind of touched on it like what popular advice have you rejected or just like not used completely and what tools uh, I know you mentioned Brittany's spreadsheet which I also have um what tools like have you used or advice has like really stuck with you um on your journey and I know you touched on it a little bit yeah Yeah, um I mean and just kind of going back to that whole idea of like liberation over personal development liberation over you know uh financial um independence or yeah financial freedom liberation over everything right and so um and also the idea of like pushing against like resisting capitalist ideas, right? So like, like that guy who (laughs) lived in his garage, right? Like he didn't do that alone, right? Like he had friends who offered the basement. He had a job, like he had, there were people at his job who decided that he was worth paying that much money. He also for context, which again, I think 
for me, I think that's like a, <laughs> it's a lifestyle choice. And I personally like life is short and I would rather if I have the money, not live in a basement or a garage, but mm-hmm. he sold a company for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then he moved in a basement. So I think like that piece of the story mm-hmm. that yeah. he wasn't just a guy making $50,000 a year working nine to five, who was struggling living in a basement. He was an entrepreneur who sold a company. Then he went and lived in a basement. So sorry, just for some more context. on. Wow. Okay. So it was easy for him to like, it was, I would, well, let me rephrase that. I wouldn't say it was easy. It was easier for him to save that much money in a year. Right. And to attain that goal because he had the right setup, right? Like he was connected to the right people. And so when I'm thinking about like my own financial liberation, right? I have to think about, this isn't just about me, right? Like it is, but it isn't like, because I don't operate in a silo. I operate within community. So like, there are family members that we help to support financially, right? I can't pull those resources away just so we can get out of debt faster. Like that's unethical to me. Like that's just, that's that's a no, right? Whereas for some people, like they might be okay with that, right? And so, and also like we have dogs and we want to be able to enjoy the day to day. Like we don't want to eat rice and beans in order to get out of debt for like months. Like that's just not the the kind of life that we want to live because like you said, life is short. Yes, getting out of debt and you know getting financially liberated is important, but also prioritizing pleasure is important. Prioritizing a life that is satisfying is important. And so to deny those things to ourselves becomes a way for us to cut ourselves off from ourselves, right? Like we start to comp- compartmentalize ourselves. And that is the antithesis of what I have learned as a feminist, as a student of Audre Lord, right? Like I have learned to not cut myself off from myself. I have learned to accept the wholeness of who I am. And if I'm gonna accept the wholeness of who I am, that means, yes, I wanna be debt free, but yes, I also like really beautiful things and really expensive things, right? Does that mean that I'm gonna go out and blow my money on like beautiful, expensive things every time I get paid? No, but it does mean that I'm gonna include it in my budget, right? It does mean that it's going to be part of my plan, right? I love my dogs and I want them to have Well, one of them hates being outside. She's like, why the fuck are we here? Just put me back on the couch, please. But the other one will live in the woods if she could, right? Like she loves being outdoors. And so we don't have kids. So we treat our dogs as our kids. And it's important for us to make sure that we're like keeping our dogs happy. Like they're seniors, they're rescues. Like that's a question of, um, of um, that's a priority for us, right? To make sure that we're caring for our dogs in the best way possible. And so it was important for us to make sure that we were living somewhere where the dogs had a yard, where Foxy had a yard where she can just run around to her little heart's content, 
until she gets tired and she comes back inside, right? And so it's it's really about finding the advice or this the structure to financial liberation that aligns with your values, right? Because the moment that you start to get out of alignment with your values is the moment that you start to deny yourself. And that's the moment that you start to dissect yourself into little pieces. You're like, oh, this part of me is this and this part of me is that. And that is not how we were created. That is not how we operate, right? Like that causes harm and trauma to us. And so if we want to be in right relationship with ourselves, then we have to prioritize that. Yes, I think that's like what you said is, I think why I often push, because I mean, I think I get, not me, but like in general, people that talk about budgeting, like there's a lot of resistance, which I think is based in, like you said, trauma and based in lack of literacy and thinking either a budget is for when you're rich or, um, which again, like, trying to just break it down like it's simply a plan <laughs> yeah. for your money like it's just so that you know where it's going and when it's coming and like what's going to savings and do you even have retirement and like I think because a lot of people don't even know where things are or uh, or are letting one spouse or one partner or someone else in their life deal with their money and, and don't have agency over their finances um, which I think is really important for women and femmes and queer folks to have that agency over our money. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, like I, I think I've accepted around myself is that like, I, I, like you said, I love saving money. I think at first I hate, I couldn't figure out how to save money. Mm. Um, it's just, I did, it didn't like click. And, yeah. uh, and I, I do use the language of money mindset and I don't mind using it, um, because I think like, for me, it's not manifest, like not a manifestation um, <laughs> thing. It's just of like, a, just a reprogramming yeah, or, yeah. Um, or being able to view or represent information for other people mm-hmm. and myself in a way that in a language that they will understand. Yeah. Um, and so I think once my mindset was reframed around savings, like I, I'm really good at saving money <laughs> and uh, like to the point of like hoarding money. Um, <laughs> but I also like, like, you know, the icy life and I like nice things and I like clothes and shoes and like skincare and makeup is one thing that I've, I've, I won't stop. Like I, <laughs> not, stop. <laughs> I can't like, <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that's just like, picking what your values are and what you want to prioritize in your life and I know they're like yeah y'all love food and love and I see amazing food that you cook <laughs> and pastries <laughs> you buy and I love to bake and you know and I like I enjoy cooking and I like baking and I like nice cheese like I'm not gonna just you know because Dave Ramsey told me to eat craft singles like I'm not gonna put craft singles on my charcuterie board like that's not not what's gonna happen i'm just gonna have to rearrange some things um and i also really appreciate when you mentioned giving to your family because i think for and again this is not to say that obviously a lot of you know white folks do this as well and have to support family members but i think especially for 
communities of color mm-hmm. um, where I think a lot of maybe the disconnect probably with like the Susie Ormans, the, what is his name? Kevin, Kevin O'Leary, that guy from Shark Tank. I don't know. Um, like the, the Ramseys, like those people of, of not seeing like how communities of color are supporting other mm-hmm. either familial units or friends. Um, yeah. And there's been studies shown that we give donation wise at a higher rate than yeah. other folks and that poor folks often give at a higher rate than people They're with rich. wealth, than yeah. rich people. Yeah. And like yeah. not like just not even looking at that kind of data to see like, yeah, there might be a line item in my budget for donations or for you, there's a line item in my budget that that's just money I give to that family member or this family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that will always stay just the way like your rent will always stay there or, you know, your light bill. The yeah. same things for collective help are non-negotiables and would, ne- yeah, would never be able to be cut. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think for folks, maybe not understanding maybe more, yeah, like collective forms of like wealth and financial redistribution that mm-hmm. people of color have always done mm-hmm. um, and are continuing to do may I mean and part just because like we haven't been able to enter the same financial systems and have access yeah. to the same banking <laughs> and lending practices as everybody else um, mm-hmm. and that we are still doing those kinds of money and financial practices um, I know you mentioned here about money as energy do you want to elaborate on that yeah, so like, and, and part of my understanding of that also came from this book that I, um, that I, that I've been reading. Um, it's called Your Money or Your Life uh, by Vicki Robin. Um, the basic premise is that like, money is an exchange of energy, right? Because the money that you earn, you expended energy to earn that money right? And so when you earn that money, it's like you're getting some of that energy back. So when you spend that, you're spending that energy again, right? And so thinking about like, if it, if it took you eight hours to earn $800, and then you purchase something that's $600, that's six hours of your life energy that you just gave away, right? And it may be worth it, right? That's not saying that you shouldn't one way or the other, um, but just reframing how we think about money in that respect, um, for me has really helped to think about, do I really wanna spend the money on this product right now, right? Like, is it worth it? Um, and it's it, and it, it becomes less about spending the money and more about what you spend it on. Um, it also helps in how you price yourself, right? Like as a service-based provider, like if I'm giving you 90 minutes of my energy, right? That's not just the 90 minutes of my energy. That's also like the four years of college that I went to, that I'm bringing to the table. That's the 10 years of experience, right? That I'm bringing to the table. So it's less about the time and more about the value. And so I'm not charging you like, $90 for 90 minutes of my time because it's like a dollar an hour or a dollar a minute, right? No, I need to charge you based on my education, 
my experience and my time, right? Because those are the three things that I'm bringing to the table. So if I'm doing a dollar a minute based on those three things, then the price is going to be $270. Like it's, it's going to triple, right? Or even more, right? Like it could be even more than that based on how much experience or education you have. And so I think that is something that sometimes people don't understand when they're working with a service-based provider that it's not just the time spent on actually doing the thing. It's like everything that led up to the time spent on doing that thing. And so sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, your prices are so expensive. And it's like, it's not even about that. Like, I'm not trying to be like a luxury brand or a premium price provider. Like I spent years in school, right? So there's not like there's, yeah, my student loan debt, but also all the knowledge, right? That I'm bringing to the table. There's all the different people that I've worked with in the past that is helping me provide you with a better experience. Um, And so, yeah, that was like a really mishmash way of answering your question. (laughs) But, um, But yeah, when you think about money as energy, right? It's not just like in things that you purchase, but as an entrepreneur, like the energy that you're bringing as well and taking that into consideration as you set your prices. Yeah, I I think that will be helpful for folks in like clarifying (laughs) like why things are priced the way they are. Um, Yeah, it's it's definitely multi-layered and I think if we have more transparency around pricing, it will also help attract the ideal person to you that understands, that is that wants to pay you for your time and for your expertise and understand why they're doing it and not like begrudgingly, like, oh, I, got, I guess I have to pay this fee because like I need this service, but is like open and willing and glad to pay for the like en- encompassment of yeah. <laughs> of your time and knowledge and education. Um, and I think, yeah, I definitely started reframing money as time and energy in the beginning of my debt-free journey in, cause I was doing a lot of nanny work and trying to figure out like, is it worth me even going over to this client's house? You know, mm-hmm. like the time I'm gonna drive, the gas, the time yeah. I'm there, like, because there would be times where I have two clients and they're asking for the same night and I'm like or also the time and effort working with the client like Mm -hmm. it's always hard to get you know there's some people it's hard to get paid from them they forget or the kids are just are wild like they won't you know um in like the experience too of like working in a space I think when you are freelance you do have that choice to an extent you know sometimes you just got to do what you got to do (laughs) um but I think yeah when you are for folks that also do contractual work you know if working with client a and working with client b one might pay b might pay more money but you are going to have to chase them down for that check and Mm -hmm. it will stretch out for months (laughs) like yeah Yeah. I've heard of people doing work contractual work and they didn't get paid till like three years later and that was gosh there's um Asia Dang, um, she's like an influencer, but she mainly does stuff around lifestyle. And I don't even know if she calls herself that, but I think people would categorize her. Um, mm-hmm. But 
she does a lot of like lifestyle stuff on YouTube and now has like veered more into planning and personal finance because she went on her own debt-free journey Mm -hmm. but she (laughs) did some kind of like commercial work for um, a brand and they didn't pay her until 2020 and it like she had done she did in like 2016 or 2017 oh my gosh and that wasn't until she had to get a lawyer and they were getting sued by other people and then like so you I mean I think often like yeah more money can look shiny and we might need more money but if we know I think especially when we know ahead of time that working with this person I might not even get my money like (laughs) I might do this labor um, versus working with a client that might not be able to pay as much but it's collaborative you know they have you know they're kind they have ethical practices like there's clear communication between us I would rather go with that person (laughs) in the end of the day and being able to yeah make these decisions and also like learn about these kinds of things and make these tools like these um mindset shifts ahead of time especially when you are starting out as a small business when mm-hmm. I think for a lot of us it's kind of like whatever opportunity comes I'll accept because the income isn't steady and the mm-hmm. clients aren't steady so it's yeah. just accepting whoever comes in but then I think um as you talked about like reorienting yourself back to your values and what framework are you working from? Are you doing this for yourself? Or are you doing this from a liberatory stance? Um, I think will allow you to decipher clients <laughs> a yeah. lot, a lot better. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's important that early stage, as early stage entrepreneurs, that we, um, we keep that top of mind because like, like you said, it's easy to just like accept everything, but if you're dealing with a nightmare client, right, that's taking a lot of energy from you, that's time you could be spent creating or working with other clients yep. who could be allowing you to make even more money, right? Mm-hmm. So like, don't just like take a job just because it's, it's, it's paying you, right? Like, what's the exchange? And what could you be doing instead to like make that money and then some um, if you were doing something different? Yes, I think that's something I, um, in 20, I think 2020 slash like the pandemic has helped a lot of us restructure our time because we are online and there's almost like um, a greater, greater accessibility almost to you of like, you know, I. That yeah, now I can be contacted on uh, online, and I'm at home all the time. So why aren't you available? Or, you know, um, of of having to like restructure boundaries around time um, so that you're not always on. And um, I think that's something I've definitely struggled with because I <laughs> I often will just be like, well, like I might not get another client for however many months, um, but then regret it in the end because I could have been doing something else for myself. Um, I can't remember. Have we touched on, do we ever touch on imposter syndrome? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you want to, cause I know we're getting like to the time that I said this to be over, but if, uh, you want to touch on the work you do around imposter syndrome, I personally have found it very helpful 
for myself, <laughs> um, <laughs> seeing your content um, and helping me reframe imposter syndrome because like I have a lot of imposter syndrome <laughs> over here. Um, if you could talk about the work you do with that um, and yeah, like what, do you have any other projects moving forward um, that deal with imposter syndrome outside of the failure work you're doing in the Facebook group? Yeah, well, let me say this about imposter syndrome. A lot, of, a lot of times imposter syndrome comes from comparison, right? Like we think we should be like so-and-so or we should have attained this specific goal or status by like this specific age and then we don't and it's like okay maybe I'm a failure what am I doing wrong yada 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 right and so when it comes to imposter syndrome with my clients like the one thing I try to focus on uh, or help them focus on is their own values right like knowing your values and staying in alignment with your values helps to combat imposter syndrome. And here's why, right? Because in order to fully know your values, right? It all goes back to that foundation of becoming completely self-aware and embracing every part of who you are, even the parts that you might not want to embrace, right? But knowing yourself so fully, like keeps you grounded and keeps you set. Like it keeps you centered. And so when imposter syndrome comes up, it's like, well, does, does that feeling of imposter syndrome align with my core values? Like, no, obviously not, right? So then you can just kind of like, it's easier for you to reset if you know that. Um, one of the things that I also recommend to my clients is to keep a brag file, right? Like a literal tangible file folder with... I mean, it could be just blank pieces of printer paper with a list of like all your accomplishments, right? All the awesome things that you've done, all the awesome things that people have said about you, right? And if you're feeling like, oh, I had a bad day or I had a bad week, or I'm not really sure like if I wanna keep doing this or whatever, like whether it's a job or a relationship or whatever, like pull that file out and look through it. Like spend some time like going through that because when imposter syndrome hits, like it becomes so easy for us to forget like everything else because we're just in that moment and it's hard to just kind of pull back and see the bigger picture. And so having something tangible, right, that you can look at can help with that. But, it, but the, the crux of it is just really, really staying in alignment with your core values. Like I just cannot stress that enough. Um, and does that mean that like imposter syndrome is never gonna come? No, absolutely not. Like it's gonna show up. Like that's just the, the world that we live in, it's impossible for us to live a life where we never compare ourselves to someone else, right? With social media, television, like just the whole structure of society is built, right? Like capitalism is built on competition and competition means that you compare yourself to other people right? In order to be better, in order to be the best. And so because we live in that system, you're, we're constantly going to have these feelings, right? We're constantly going to be bombarded with messages that tell us to compare ourselves to such and such person or such and such organization or business or whatever. 
but if you stay grounded in your core values, like it makes it a lot easier to mitigate that and to like not let it affect you as much. Mm, thank you for that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we all suffer <laughs> from <laughs> imposter syndrome and yeah. I think, uh, and especially with like coupled with anxiety and um, it just can feel like, yeah, like the walls are closing in and um, like, oh, maybe I should just quit because you know, I am not good at anything. And so I really appreciate the brag file. I have never, I've never done that. I think I've like had to hype myself up and like <laughs> list <laughs> things to myself. Um, but I've never on a piece of paper or like a Google doc or Word doc, mm -hmm. never written everything out mm -hmm. um, outside of like a resume or cover letter, yeah. which again is just a very edited and tailored version of like yeah. accomplishments in our life for the capitalist system to evaluate us for jobs um, <laughs> um but yeah I really appreciate that and I'll probably write my own brag file and like expand it out to I guess everything yeah um so yeah thank you for that um what uh do you have any projects or series either in your Facebook group um coaching or on the Instagram or something that we don't know of yet um, mm -hmm. that you could share with us as we close this episode out today? Yeah, um, well, I'm doing the, it's a 21 day series on failure um, in my Facebook group, The Collective, um, which has been going really well. Um, the conversations have been like it's been energizing just talking to people about their experiences with failure and it's really interesting because like failure is such a like taboo topic for a lot of people for me especially as someone who is really really driven um that when I first started having the conversations just saying the question out loud can you the question was can you tell me about your ideas of failure growing up or can you tell me about an experience with failure that you had like using those words in that sequence and saying it out loud felt really weird like it was like really awkward to ask those questions it felt like i was insulting people to you know to ask them to talk about that and so it's just been really interesting for me to see my transformation and just talking about mm -hmm. it like the more i talk about it the more normal it just becomes and in my mind it's always been normal but because it's not a conversation piece right like you don't meet someone and say so how have you failed lately you know um it just it was really weird and now it's like totally okay which is the goal like I want that was the goal of like of, of doing this series to just like normalize talking about failure um in a way that is um transformational and liberatory and so um not productive but transformational and liberatory right and so it's been a lot of fun doing that and then um in terms of just like um my business and you know services that um projects that I'm working on and whatnot um I am uh currently um working on um just like hosting webinars every month um just like workshops uh, I guess less of a webinar, more of a workshop on different topics every month. So um, I haven't 
put this out yet, but like this month um, in January, I'm doing one on resilience. Um, I don't know what February's topic will be yet, but, um, and then I'm, I'm switching over to just doing like ad hoc coaching. Um, still working with clients like one-on-one, -on -one, just not for a super long time. Um, Cause that takes a lot of energy to work one-on-one -on -one with a client for like an extended period of time. So I'm still doing like one month and three months, but other than that, I'm not doing anything longer. Um, but yeah, right now I'm just in the middle of just like transitioning my, my business into um, something else. So don't really have much going on, but can definitely find me on Instagram um, talking about stuff and, and giving tips away and whatnot. And on the Facebook group, um, for sure. Oh, I'm looking forward to the webinar. Definitely. Um, is that going to be in February or is it this month? It's this month. It'll be this month in January. So, okay. um, um, this week is when I'll start publicizing it. Cause it'll be at the end of the month. Um, okay. yeah. um, and when does the 21 days end for folks to know? It will end on January 31st. That'll be the last um, the last um, conversation that I'll publish in the Facebook group. Okay, um, sounds good. Then I was like, okay, I need to do this podcast episode. <laughs> to come out like, like at least a week before. <laughs> that ends um but thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh this afternoon um really appreciate you taking your time to talk with us about money um and your own experiences and your experiences as a business owner and entrepreneur uh, so thank you so much yeah you're very welcome thanks for having me Thank you for joining us today on Paid Invoice Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Judith Jones. You can follow me on Instagram at budgetingbrokegirl. Editing for this podcast is done by my sweet, kind husband, Zach Blaylock. Music for the show is by Panda Raps, and the song is called Alone on a Swan in LA. We'll be back every Thursday with a new episode, but please, in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on whatever platform you prefer and leave a rating if you're able to help elevate other BIPOC creatives, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs. We'll see you next time. Have a good day.